Good morning, Anchor Church. How's everyone doing today? Good, good to see you all. Uh, really quickly, uh, so uh, for if we have any guests in the room, my name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. If you're tuning in online, thanks for joining us. We are glad to have you. Um, before I dive into the message today, I just wanted to kind of uh, piggyback off something Dylan said in one of our announcements about the proverb a day. So like he said, um, there's 31 days in March. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and it's a really easy thing to just kind of do a chapter a day. And so in the spirit of our, our theme for the year of discipleship, right, becoming more like Christ and, and really focusing in on the, the spiritual disciplines uh, and specifically knowing the word of God, we are, as a church, we're going to go through the book of Proverbs in the month of March, uh, a chapter a day, just to, to have a, a clearer understanding of of wisdom and what God wants for us. So um, if you don't know, Proverbs is a wisdom book, and it's just uh, a book full of some, some wise sayings and teachings that we can take and apply. So um, yeah, just be ready for that. We'll have more details to come, uh, but March uh, 1st is actually a Friday, so uh, be ready for that. Mark your calendars if you need, but we're going to do that together. I'm really excited to do it. So um, today... The title of my message is The Lamb of God, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Um, one of our core values here at Anchor is learning, or if you were to believe our new merch, it's leering. Um, gosh, that's still embarrassing. It's my mistake. So um, we, we want to become students of the, of the word, right, learning, because in a world full of lies, God's word is the only truth we have to stand on. So we have to know the word of God, becoming students of the word. It's all a part of discipleship. That's all a part of uh, growing in your relationship with Christ. And that's our emphasis this year, discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. And so in the spirit of discipleship and learning, we're in this series, uh, the gospel of John, where we're walking verse by verse through the gospel of John to understand what it means so that we can take it and apply the principles within and ultimately become more like Christ. But uh, before we dive into the scriptures, I wanted to read a story with you that I found, and I just want to prepare uh, that some may think it's a little crude. Uh, I'm not trying to be crude. Um, it's just I think it, it makes a good point, so I wanted to read that to you. Uh, a small bottle containing urine sat upon the desk of Sir William, William Osler. He was then the eminent professor of medicine at Oxford University. Sitting before him was a classroom full of young, wide-eyed medical students listening to his lecture on the importance of observing details. To emphasize his point, he reached down and picked up the bottle. Holding it high, he announced, this bottle contains a sample for analysis. It's often possible by tasting it to determine the disease from which the patient suffers. Putting his actions into words, he dipped his finger into the fluid and then into his mouth as he continued. Now I'm going to pass the bottle around. Each of you please do exactly as I did. Perhaps we can learn the importance of this technique and diagnose the case. The bottle made its way around row to row to each student uh, and they gingerly poked their finger in and bravely sampled the contents with a frown. Dr. Osler then retrieved the bottle and startled his students with these words. Gentlemen, 
Now you will understand what I mean when I speak about details. Had you been observant, you would have seen that I put my index finger into the bottle and my middle finger into my mouth. Observation is about, is about watching to learn. Observation is about watching to learn. If you want to succeed faster, if you want to make uh, more and more progress, you have to learn to be an observant person. Success is not difficult for the person who has, obser- uh, has mastered the, the, uh, the, the art of observation. Success is not difficult for that person. Observant people learn lessons everywhere they go and from whoever they come into contact with, right? Observant people um, learn faster, they grow wiser. Um, the, the learning observation, it, it helps you to relate to people better. It helps you to know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, with observation, you can learn in one minute what it took somebody else years to learn, right? Observation, like learning to be observant is important. It helps you avoid errors. It helps you to know how to act wisely when handling life issues. Today, I want to read our scriptures through the lens of observation to, to be able to see the word of God and see the principles within it to be able to take them and apply it because that, that's the point of knowing the word, is to be able to see the principles, because the word is full of principles, see those principles and take them and apply them to our lives. But first, would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask for your grace and your mercy, God. We ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and give us the understanding we need to, to take the word and apply it to our lives today. We love you. Open our hearts to respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open them up. Turn them on uh, to John chapter 1. We're starting in verse 29. We're going through verse 34. And before I read, I want to kind of summarize what we've read to this point. So John started out with this prologue, right? I remember I I, kind of helped us understand that uh, the apostle John is writing to a largely non-Jewish audience. So he's answering the question, where does stuff come from? And he said, God made it all. Nothing is here without God having made it. So, and, and then we, we're introduced to John the Baptist and, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They're, they're thinking, man, like this John guy, I think he might be the Messiah or he might be a, the second coming of Elijah or he might be the prophet that um, Deuteronomy was talking about. And John's like, nope, that's not me. That's not me. And then we come to today's portion of scripture. John chapter one, starting in verse 29, it says this, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So really quickly, I want to break this down and kind of to understand it verse by verse. John 1.29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I'm going to get nerdy. Stick with me. It matters. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, 
It's full of rituals that help the Israelites understand how to keep the temple clean so that God's presence can dwell there. If the temple's dirty with sin, God's presence leaves. So the, the book of Leviticus is all about how do we get God to stay with us? Well, got to keep it clean. And there's this list of rituals, exhaustive list of rituals designed to ensure the temple stays clean, right? And so there are burnt offerings, there are grain offerings, there are peace offerings, there are guilt offerings, and there are sin offerings, okay? Each offering is for a different purpose, and each offering requires a different animal sacrifice, okay? In Leviticus, guess which sacrifice requires a lamb for an offering? The sin offering, Right? So when, when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's not just assigning some random animal to like represent Jesus. He's making a claim. This is who God has always been talking about. This is the Lamb in Leviticus that washes away sin. That, it's a huge deal to, to the people John was talking to, and, and they would have immediately like, made the connection. The dots would have immediately been connected. Oh, he's talking about that lamb in Leviticus. Uh, verse 30, he's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So last week I said John the Baptist is the forerunner uh, of Christ, and that just means that his whole purpose, the whole purpose John was, was on earth was to um, shout that the Messiah is coming to the Israel, uh, Israelites, to, to the people of Israel. God, God is sending the Messiah. He's here. He's, like, he, um, he's been talking about the coming of the Messiah for a long time, and, and he's saying now, this is it. This is it. The time has come. He's him. He's him. Pay attention. You know, that's what he's saying. Uh, verse uh, 31 and 32, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. So the gospel of John is the only one of the four gospels that doesn't give, uh, it doesn't have a written account of the moment Jesus was baptized. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a, a written account of the moment Jesus was baptized, but John doesn't. And, and uh, John the Baptist, he's referring to the moment Jesus was baptized. Um, and so uh, really quickly, I want to read that to you. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, we see that account that, that John the Baptist is reference, uh, referencing. Matthew 3.13, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, John the Baptist. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So back to John. Uh, chapter 1, verse 31 and 32, um, John the Baptist says, before I baptized Jesus, I didn't know he was the Messiah. He was just my cousin. He, like, we had a few interactions, and he was just a guy that I was rela related to. I didn't know he was the Messiah until the moment he came out of the water, and I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. I knew, I knew this is the one that God sent to save us. This is the one that God sent to liberate us. He's the one we've been waiting for. It's a powerful, powerful moment. Uh, verse 33, 
I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It says the one on whom you see the Spirit descend. This is what God told uh, John the Baptist, and and, um, the Spirit that God was talking about was God's own Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When you see my Spirit, John, when you see my Spirit descend and rest, on, on somebody, that's going to be the one you know is going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. To actually see the Spirit of God physically, and then come re- that would change somebody, right? It would change me. To see the Spirit of God in physical form come down, how different would we be? Powerful, powerful stuff. Verse 34, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So according to the gospel of John, John the Baptist is the first person to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He's the first person to profess Jesus as the chosen one of God. So um, John the Baptist makes it clear, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet that was talked about in Deuteronomy. That's not me. That's your guy. And he's pointing to Jesus. That's your guy. He's the one you're looking for. He's the one. Everybody focus on him. There's your guy. It's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. And with this Gospel of John series, uh, the goal of walking verse by verse through it is to understand it better, right? So we can, again, take those principles and apply the principles to our lives. Um, there's a, a spoken word poet who, who once said this. Spoken word is a, just an a artistic form of, of, of worship to God. It's, it's basically um, just it's poetry in a spoken form. Uh, the spoken word poet said this. Church without applying what you learn is worthless. Church without applying what you learn is worthless. What does that mean? It means if you're just going through the motions, to go through the motions, you're wasting your time. It means if you're not here to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you're just checking off some Christian to-do list, you're wasting your time. If we're not actively trying to become more like Christ, we are wasting our time. Church without applying what you learn is worthless. So today, I want to look at this portion of scripture to see how we can apply it to our everyday life, right? To, to see how we can take it and apply it. The first application that I want to talk about, talk about today is this. Jesus takes away all sin. Now that might, might sound like the obvious statement of 2024, but like stick with me, right? John chapter 1 verse 29 says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle John uses a very specific word in the original language that kind of gets lost in translation when we read it in English. Um, So when he says, takes away the sin of the world, he uses, again, a very specific word that means something way bigger. That word is the Greek word, cosmos, cosmos. And it means the world or the universe. So think about this. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he's the sacrifice that takes away all the sin of the entire universe. That means there's nowhere in all of creation that, that you could go to escape the covering of the blood of Jesus. Nowhere that you could go to hide from it. There's, there's nowhere you can escape it. 
The reach of Jesus goes to the furthest parts of creation to restore us back to the Father. There's also another meaning for the word of cosmos, and it's this. The ungodly multitude, the whole mass of people alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. That's also what the word cosmos means. So I think it has two meanings. The universe, but then those who don't know God and they're opposed to him. That sounds like an enemy to me. So to put it kind of in my own words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of his enemies. Who takes away the sin of his enemies. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in in Romans. When he says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners or while we were still his enemies. While we were still his enemies. God is constantly and consistently fighting for the furthest hearts. He's constantly and consistently fighting for the hearts that are furthest from him and the Jews didn't get that. The Jews didn't understand that. They didn't understand that, that they, they shouldn't put their hope in righteousness. They shouldn't put their hope in, in doing good, right? That's, that's God saying, like, don't put your hope in that stuff. Put your hope in me. Put your hope in my son. Don't put your hope in you and, and what you do. And, and like, he, you don't get it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, of the cosmos, the universe, the ungodly multitude. So that's a the first observation, which I think is a, a very important one, Jesus takes away all sin, no matter where, no matter when, all sin. The second, uh, the, the next principle I want to talk about today is this, God still speaks. God still speaks. John 1.33, it says, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one. He told me. God told me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? God told me. God told me. I think a lot of people, like, I think a lot of people, like, hear that and kind of roll their eyes. Oh, God told, God told you. You have some special relationship with God where he, he tells you stuff. Well, yeah, we see that in Scripture. God still speaks today. This is difficult for people to understand. Even, it's difficult. It's difficult for even Christians to understand. There are, there are circles of Christians who believe that God doesn't speak today, that he said all he needs to say in his word, but I believe that he speaks today. He speaks today. He uses his word to speak, yes, but he, he, he's not confined to just the pages in that book. He can speak however he wants, and I believe it's an incredible error. It's a, it's a, a wrong assumption to think that God doesn't speak he does. And guess what? He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. Every, every day he wants to talk to you. He's looking to have a conversation. And, and you might say, like, Pastor Ryan, like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a board member. Like, I don't, I'm not nobody special. Why would God want to talk to me? And if that's your thought process right now, or if it ever has been your thought process, I feel compelled to remind you or maybe make it known for the first time, John the Baptist was nobody in the eyes of people. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a rabbi. He had no, he had no clout or he had no credibility with anybody. Like, this is who John the Baptist was. He was the crazy guy who lived out in the boonies, and he ate locusts, and his clothes were made out of camel's hair. That's who John the Baptist was, and God still spoke to him. 
And he had an ongoing relationship with the Lord where God continually spoke to him. And God, guess what? God wants to continually speak to you too. He wants, he wants to talk to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. John the Baptist had nothing to offer anybody. He had no pull. He had no clout. He had no um, uh, influence politically. And God still spoke to him. And if that's how you, if that's how you perceive yourself, God still wants to speak to you. If, if, you have, if you have nothing to offer anybody, God still wants to speak to you. He still wants to have a conversation. He still wants to get to know us. He longs to. But here's the thing. We have to be ready to hear him. We have to be ready to hear what he has to say. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 says this, Remember, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When you hear his voice. When. Not if. Not maybe. Not possibly. When you hear his voice. Because guess what? He's always speaking. He wants, he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to talk with you. And he is. He is talking. We just have to be ready to hear him. But most people aren't looking for it. Most people aren't ready for it. We have to be ready. So what do I mean, get ready? Uh, where's Dylan? Dylan, come up here quick. I, I want to show you what I mean, be ready. Be ready to hear from him. What does it mean to, to be ready? Well, um, stop right there, Dylan. So this is what I mean. God is constantly speaking, but he's speaking in a whisper. So... Did you hear what I said? Okay, let me say it again. Did you hear it that time? Yeah, Broncos, suck. <laughs> Broncos suck. No, that's not what I said. He likes trolling you, Chelsea. I'll say, I'll say it one more time. Did you hear it that time? You did? Okay. Well, now do whatever you need to do to hear what I have to say. What did I say? If you want to hear what he has to say, you have to get closer. Give it up for Dylan. That's, that's a silly illustration, but I think it makes the point. A lot of people try running to God when they need something, and they try, God, just tell me what to do. And then they don't hear anything. Like, why? Well, you're not close enough to hear the whisper of his voice. If you want to hear from God, you want to be ready to hear from God, you have to do everything you can to, to prepare yourself to hear from him. And that means getting closer. God, what do I do in my job situation? You got to get close enough to hear him. God, what do I do? My family's falling apart. You got to get close enough to hear him. If you want to hear God speak, you have to be close enough to hear him. You have to be as close as possible. So, all right, the, the first principle we can take from today's portion of Scripture and apply is that Jesus takes away all sin. The next principle that we, we can take and, and apply is um, that God still speaks. He wants to speak to you today. We just have to be ready. The next principle we can take and apply from our portion of Scripture today is this. Water baptism matters. Water baptism matters, John one thirty three. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, God sent John the Baptist to baptize with water. He commanded him, hey, you're going to baptize people. It matters. 
And like the topic of God speaking, this is kind of a controversial issue, even within Christian circles. Does God require baptism? Does he not? What's the purpose of it? Does it save? Who can get baptized? Like, it's, it's a hot topic in Christian circles. Well, first of all, I feel I need to define what water baptism is. It's complete immersion in water. That's what water baptism is. You take and you dunk somebody completely in water, and then they come out of water. That is the biblical model. There are some Christian traditions that practice spiritual sprinkling water. There are some that, that practice sprinkling water, but this is not, that's not the biblical model we see. The biblical model we see is complete immersion into water. That's what we find in scripture. Now, if you have a church background that practices sprinkling or practices um, like sprinkling babies or whatever, like I have to say this, there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing harmful about it. There's nothing sinful about it. It's just not the biblical model we see. That's all I'll say. I, again, I know that's like a hot button topic and I'm not trying to put anybody's tradition down. I was raised Catholic, so as a six month old baby, I was sprinkled with water, you know, like there's, it's not harmful, it's not sinful, it's not evil, it's just not the biblical model. So what is baptism? Baptism is a symbol. Baptism is a symbol that faith in God, that faith in Jesus has changed you and you are now a new person. That's what baptism is. In scripture, in scripture, there's not one example I'm aware of where a baby is immersed in water. There's not one example that I'm aware of where a young, small child is immersed in water. Why? Because it should be your decision to get baptized. It's not, it's not my decision to baptize my six-month-old daughter. That's going to be her decision one day when she makes the decision to follow Jesus. Baptism is a symbol that I am changed. I am no longer who I used to be. It's a choice you make for yourself. It's a step of obedience between the believer and God. Now, again, I realize that this is a hot-button topic, and if you grew up in a church tradition that practices baptizing babies or sprinkling babies, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about it or put it down at all. I'm just trying to help us. I want to help us understand what the Word says that, so we can know it and apply it better. Now, um, along with baptizing babies, there are some Christians that believe that baptism saves your soul. And I, I, I don't believe that's the case either. They believe um, baptism saves your soul. And this belief is so prominent uh, amongst um, certain groups of Christians that it drives them to baptize babies. Well, what if the baby dies and they're not baptized? Will they go to heaven? And, and so that's why they baptize. But that's why I was baptized at six months old. But guess what? Again, it's a symbol and it's my choice. It's between me and God. Baptism does not save anyone's soul. It's a symbol to, to, to show the world I am changed. I'm not who I was. I belong to Jesus now. I belong to Jesus. I say, it, I say it like this all the time. It's like a wedding ring. My wedding ring does not make me married. If I take off my wedding ring, it doesn't mean I'm no longer married, right? I'm now single, right? That doesn't mean that. It's just a symbol. It, it communicates to the world I'm taken, I'm spoken for, I'm committed to somebody. And that's what baptism is. It's a symbol that says, I'm taken, I'm spoken for, I'm committed to the Lord. It's also a symbol that you've died to your old self. It's a symbol that you've died to who you used to be. You died to your old life, and you are now a new creation in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this, 
For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Not physically, right? We don't physically, they don't hold us under until we stop breathing, right? Like that's not, that's not it. It's a spiritual death, right? The, I'm dying to who I used to be and I'm coming out a new creation in Christ. It's a symbol to show the world you belong to God, but it's also a symbol to solidify in you who you belong to, who, who you serve, who your God is. You're brand new in Jesus. If you've never been baptized, I want to, if you've never been baptized in water, I want to urge you, take that next step. It's an easy next step of obedience, um, and, and it's something that Scripture prescribes for all believers, baptism in water. If you've never made the decision for yourself to be baptized, I want to urge you to do that. And, and I've had this conversation with people before, and they're like, well, I'll pray about it. There's nothing to pray about. There's nothing to pray about. God wants you to be baptized. It's just a matter of you being obedient. So if you've never taken that step to, to say yes yourself, I want to um, ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Acts, Acts chapter 8, there's a story of this Ethiopian eunuch Jew who's he's standing on a street corner reading scripture out loud. And the apostle Philip, he's one of the original 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. The apostle Philip, he, he's kind of riding by and he sees this guy reading scripture and he stops and he asks the guy, he goes, do you know what you're reading? The guy's like, nope, I don't know what I'm reading. I'm just reading it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And so he, he connects what he's reading in, in the book of Isaiah to Jesus. And, and right there, this Ethiopian eunuch has this moment where he converts to Christianity. He now has, his faith is in Jesus. And this is what his immediate next step is. His immediate, not like months later, not, you know, next year. Immediate next step, Acts 8.36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? In a little puddle on the side of the road. Baptize me, because I know it's what God commands. If you haven't made the decision for yourself to be baptized yet, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? March 17th, we have baptisms planned, and there are, uh, there are a few ways to sign up if you need to. If you want to have a conversation with me about it, I'd love to. Let's, let's talk about it after. So, the first principle that we can take from the portion of Scripture and apply to our life is Jesus takes away all sin, right? The second principle that we can take and apply is that God still speaks. The third principle that we take and apply from, from our Scripture today is that, uh, is that water baptism matters. And finally, the, the last principle I want to talk about today is this. There is a second baptism. There's a second baptism. John 1.33, again, it says, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says, I baptize with water. But the one coming after me, the one who's greater than me, the, the one who we've all been waiting for, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There is a second baptism. There's a second baptism. And Again, this is another hot-button issue within Christian circles, baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are some who believe that um, baptism of the Holy Spirit is descriptive, meaning they, the Bible just describes what happened in that place, in that time for those people, and it's not for us today. And there are some circles of Christian that, Christians that believe it's prescriptive, meaning the word is telling us we need to seek this. We need this in our life. And just, just in case you didn't know, 
those people are called Pentecostals who believe like that the Holy Spirit is for today and going forward. And we are a Pentecostal church. As a church, we believe the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today. And here's why we believe that. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus was uh, beaten. He was crucified. He died. And now he's resurrected. He's giving the last thing he says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there are two, two purposes for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Closeness. God wants to be close to you. And how, like, what better way could he be close to you than to live inside of you, than to reside in your heart, right? There's, he couldn't be any closer to you. He wants to be close. The second purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we just read. To be his witnesses wherever we go. The, you're going to receive power when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in your city, in your state, in your country, wherever you go in the world. This is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are, um, there are some who believe the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And if you've ever heard somebody make that claim, they are wrong. That is not the purpose. Speaking in tongues is a gift that is a result of being baptized. It is not the purpose of being baptized. If you ever hear somebody say, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that I can speak in tongues, that is wrong. It's, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so I can be a witness for Christ. That's the purpose. Again, speaking in tongues, it's a, a whole other thing, and it's, it's uh, a result, it's a gift for, uh, that, that you receive when you're baptized, but that's another sermon series for another time. We're not going to get into that today. What you need to know is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about empowerment to be a witness for Christ. Now, the dictionary defines witness this way, to have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience, right? That's what it means to be a witness. The Bible defines witness this way, having legal, historical, and or ethical knowledge of an event from personal observation or experience. So when the Bible uses this word witness, when Jesus uses this word witness, when he says the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, you're going to be my witness. When he uses that word witness, he's like basically saying the Holy Spirit's going to make you so credible that you could testify in court to what's going on. That's how credible you're going to be. You're going to be that kind of witness. It's about being witness everywhere we go. Again, there's, there's so much more that I could talk about on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I will eventually. That's not for today. It's for another series. Um, again, all you need to understand is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's for today, and it's to empower us to be witnesses for Christ wherever we go. So uh, worship team, you can come to the platform. So here are our observations we can take and apply. Jesus takes away all sin, right? Throughout the universe, removes the sin of his enemies. God still speaks. He wants to speak today. We just have to be ready to hear him. Water baptism matters. It's an immediate next step after we put our faith in Jesus. And there's a second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses. Um, it's been so cool over the last two years since my family and I have been here to see the growth in each and every one of you, to see the, the victories, to see the, um, the highlights, to see the successes. But we can't stop now. 
we can't become complacent. We can't, um, we can't get too comfortable. We got to keep going because there's more that God wants to do. There's more that he wants to uh, accomplish in you. He's calling us to continually become more and more like his son. What, what if, imagine this for a second. What if we actually lived our life like God speaks today? What if we actually lived our lives like he's waiting to have a conversation? He, like, he wants to talk to you now. Like what if we actually believe that and we actually live that way? And what if we actually got, like positioned ourselves to hear him? We got so close that his voice was unmistakable that we'd never have to question, well, did I hear from God or was it just like bad pizza from the night before, you know? Like, what if we got so close that it was unmistakable? This is God directing me right now. Could you imagine that? How, how much simpler things would be in your life? Imagine for a second that you take the charge to be baptized seriously. And, and I don't just mean like being dunked in water. I mean being immersed into a life that's centered around Jesus. Imagine you take this, this baptism idea where, where you are not who you used to be. And, and your main priority now is I live for God and I live for his mission and, and whatever he wants, yes. The answer is yes. I mean, what if you took the idea of dying completely to who you used to be and embracing fully your new identity in Christ? What if we did that? Maybe God wants to change things for you completely by baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Maybe God wants to transform your life even further by filling you with his spirit. Maybe, um, maybe he wants to empower you to be his witness to a world that's lost, forgotten, and broken. Maybe. I, I believe he does. I believe he wants to. I believe he, he wants to speak. In fact, he is speaking now. We just have to create the space in our life to hear him. I believe that he wants you to be immersed in him. He wants your life to, to revolve around him because he knows the best way. And I believe he wants, he wants to baptize you with his Holy Spirit to transform your life in a way that you couldn't on your own. He wants those things for you. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's, he does. It's a fact. It's true. He wants those things for you, but they're not just going to happen. I believe, like, to see those things happen in our life, we have to devote ourselves to discipleship. We have to devote ourselves to becoming more like Jesus. We have to devote ourselves to um, uh, a prayer life. We have to devote ourselves to worshiping with our life. We have to devote ourselves to knowing the Word. And thank God. Thank God we don't have to do it on our own. Thank God we don't have to do it on our own. Like, you don't have to figure these things out on your own. This is what I love about church. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What is it saying? You're not meant to live life alone. You're not meant to do all this stuff on your own. We need each other. Carry each other's burdens, and in that way you fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other to encourage, to strengthen, to motivate, to hold each other accountable. I need you guys to hold me accountable. I need it. I need you guys to hold me accountable. You need me to hold you accountable. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm your brother in Christ. 
This is what it means to be the church. Discipleship is a team sport. Many people don't understand that. They think, oh, it's just me and Jesus and we're good. Discipleship is a team sport. And if you know anything about team sports, your success is wrapped up in the success of everyone else on your team. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. God's got great things in store for us when we come together for his glory. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. And we just ask that you would um, continue, continue to, to help us grow in the discipleship process of becoming more like your son. And I pray, God, that today that we would take your word and we would apply it, we would hide it, we would keep it, we would store it, whatever we need to do to, to be able to recall your word, God, to apply it to our lives. God, we need you. We can't do it without you. Remove, the, remove whatever barriers are standing in our way to getting to you, to becoming more like you. We love you, God. What we're going to do right now, the worship team is just for a couple minutes, they're just going to lead us in a song, and I want us to respond. I want us to respond. Oh, we're not done just yet, so don't, don't take off just yet, but um, I want us to respond and, and allow the Holy Spirit to continue his work. So if you need to pray, pray. If you need to meditate on what we just, just talked about, do that. Sit, meditate. If you want to um, sing with the worship team, if you need to, to respond that way, do that. But let's not rush past this moment. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to continue his work. So stand with me if you would. Um, worship team, lead us. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you through it all. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you through all the junk, through all the hurt, through all the pain, through all the success, through all the good. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Before we're dismissed today, I have a few next steps I want to challenge you with before we leave. And these next steps are just tangible things we can do to take the message and apply them to our life this week. And the first one is this. This week, I'll sign up to be water baptized. If you've never taken the step to decide for yourself, I'm going to be baptized in water to declare I am the Lord's. It's an easy next step. And I want to I urge you, don't wait. Don't wait. Look, there's water. Look, there's water. Um, the second next step is this. This week, I will pray and seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mysticism and like, like mystery that's shroud, like shrouded around that topic of baptism of the Holy Spirit. But our God is not a God of confusion. And he's not like, like he wants us to have it. He's not a God of, uh, that, that it, he doesn't play games. Like he wants you to have it. And the purpose is to be his witness, to empower us to be his witness. And then number three, this week I'll memorize John 129. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away the sin of his enemies. Let me say one last prayer and we can be dismissed today. God, we love you. We thank you. Um, thank you for what you're doing, God. Thank you that you're leading us in the direction of discipleship and you're, you're, you're leading us to become more and more like your son. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to that journey, that, that whatever comes our way, God, 
our answer would be yes. We love you. We thank you, God. We give you all the praise. And finally, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that together you may glorify God the Father. Amen and amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Thanks for... Um, Thanks for just, just joining us and, and having fun doing the, the Super Bowl thing. So I hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next time.